Hello, Australia. Welcome to Wish You'd Known. I'm Glenn James, and you're joined by Danny Visser. Hey, Danny. Hello. Now, this is Wish You'd Known. It is a podcast for the advisor who has a, a risk lens or the advisor who is interested in risk insurance. Or if you're a new entrant to the financial advice world, this is also for you. We want to have a discussion with the industry. It's for the industry, by the industry, with the industry, all that. Bringing all the little important nuggets of wisdom to the forefront. Yeah, and Danny, we've uh, we've now been doing this podcast for some time now. There's a lot of episodes in the bank Mm. and I've had a great time and everyone in the uh, My Risk Advisor Facebook group, uh, they've been giving us input. So if you're not in that Facebook group yet, jump in there. Because this is where we get our content to ask our guests. So it's really important that you tell us what you want to know. Yeah. And if you've got any episode suggestions or anything like that, you can uh, jump in My Risk Advisor. But it all wouldn't be possible without the support of Zurich OnePath. They've really helped us with the production costs of this initiative. So we really want to say thank you. And the opinions of our guests are just of their own. It's not a representation of their company or their body or their business. So we have a very special guest with us today. Hello, Jessica Brady. Hello. So Jess, you have had an amazing growth journey in your particular business, Fox and Hare. Would you like to tell everyone who's listening who may not have known about that journey where you started, where you are today, and all the little things that have happened in between. <laughs> sure. Um, well, you're still standing. I'm so. still here. I'm still here. That's that's a very good point. Uh, sometimes I wondered whether, whether I would make it here, but here I am. Uh, so my background is insurance. So I was inside various insurance companies for quite a long time, actually over, over 10 years, and thought, hey, I'm just going to start a financial advice business. Why the hell not? And so um, my business partner, Glenn, and I worked together at Macquarie. Uh, He does not have a background of insurance and we decided we would pair together, start an advice business and target predominantly 25 to 45-year-olds giving full advice. And so, yeah, it's been a three and a half year journey so far. We're a team of 13 now, which is scary and cool. Um, And to your point, like it's been a really interesting journey that's been more growth than I think Glenn and I could have hoped for. In fact, it's been our, probably our biggest challenge, which I respect is a very strange challenge and, and lots of people, as my mum aptly reminds me, would kill for this challenge in a business. Um, but yeah, we, we've certainly had a lot of learning, a lot of learnings along the way and I don't profess to be here today with all the answers, but very happy to share sort of my journey to date and, and, and be very honest and vulnerable about what's worked and certainly what hasn't. Well, you've obviously got a line of clients down the street and around the corner. And interestingly, I was actually at lunch randomly speaking to someone who came to your business for advice and you were so popular that there are months wait to actually get in the door to see you guys. So you're obviously doing something incredibly well. And I think that's really important to dive into because there's a lot of people that we speak to that are wondering whether they should take that step into their own business. But often the message is, well, don't because you're not going to be able to build a vibrant business in this sort of environment. And your journey and Glenn's journey shows that that might not be so true. So I think that's really important to get a few nuggets around how you've actually achieved that. Like what do you do within the advice to actually achieve that success and why why these clients, in your view, keep coming back and referring, um, yeah, and why you guys are so popular. So what, what do you think that you've done, like looking back over that three years, what do you think that the business has done particularly well and, and why you've got that resonance with millennial clients? I think it's a 
about being very niche. Like we only work with 25 to 45 year olds. So like all of our socials speak the same language. Our website speaks the same language. Our programs are built for people like this. We happen to fit inside that world. So we really think we understand the challenges and and opportunities that exist for people in that world. So I think the fact that we're not trying to help everyone really enables us to narrow our focus and get real clear on who we are. And, And I think our voice is quite authentic and we try to be ourselves and, and be a bit different to what the rest of, you know, a lot of the landscape of advice looks like. And I think that authenticity really resonates with a lot of younger people because we're not trying to be, um, and there's nothing wrong with wearing suits, but we're not we're trying to be suit wearing, um, very corporatized, highly professional. You know, that doesn't resonate with a lot of our members. They're, they're wanting to have an honest chat about how to move their lives forward. And, and I think it's about selling the dream of what good financial advice can do to your life, like how it can make your life amazing and how we can help you navigate and pivot and change along the way. And, and I just get really excited and passionate about it and, and, I, and the team does too. And I don't know, I wonder if that energy... Show people that they can have that life that they, des- they desire with a few tweaks and a bit of coaching and a bit of... Yeah. And some kicks up the bum, like clients pay us to kick them up the ass when they're not on track and they value that. And we work a lot with people who are in professional roles and in tech roles and you know there's a lot of considerations for them and young people have got massive ambitions they just don't even know where to start and so yeah I think I think coming back to your original question like if there's one thing that sort of really helped guide all of our decision framework it's just thinking about who we're trying to help and what do they need Mm, and one question that is just bubbling to the top of my mind because it is a question that's filling the airways at the moment do these clients pay well for the advice that you deliver to them? (laughs) How's that appetite for handing over cash for for the coaching and the advice? Because there's a report out there that says, look, people are only willing to pay $500 for a comprehensive plan. Yeah. And I think uh, before you answer that, Mm -hmm. it's important to know if you are listening to this in New Zealand or Western Australia or Brisbane, you're in basically the middle of Sydney. I'm in the Gaborhood, which has got a very, very high disposable income area. Yeah. Lots of dinks. Yeah. Double income, no children. That's true. Yeah, and sinks? Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other inks? Um, <laughs> Winks. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> do, they, do they hand over the cash? They yeah. can simplify this so, down. Uh, yeah, so you're in the um, yeah, hot part of town. Totally. So that's just for context. I think yeah, that, that's very important. That was my comment before. Like, it's, profe- it's professional. You know, I'm not working with people who are on a minimum wage and, and that sort of stuff. So I think that that's a very relevant piece to that. Uh, but yes, people are willing to pay for our advice fee and we have an ongoing membership. So we call all of our clients members uh, with no lock-in contracts and we made a move about 18 months ago to put all of our ongoing memberships purely from cash flow and it's a subscription model. So it's a cancel anytime. Um, how, how much a year? It depends because we've got three different programs, yeah. but um, our basic program would be a couple of grand a year and you get you know, to see us as often as you want, but we have what we call formal progress meetings where we reach out to them, but they can reach out to us at any time. And we do monthly tracking of their goals through an app. Um, and then we have the, another, like the next layer, which is a couple of grand more, and we see them more for progress meetings and then our top package, which I don't do much of. Um, that is 
mainly for sm- like small business owners and, mm. and complex stuff. And and also for marketing, people see three numbers and the, that's the big one and most people don't go for the big one. Yeah. <laughs> and we've had, we've had some members who it's their aspiration to move to that one because yeah. it means that their business is at a certain level where they need all this extra stuff, which mm. right now they don't need. So we're sort of future-proofing that too. Okay. So if there is a $5,000 a year membership, mm-hmm. you know, I call it your middle tier. I'm making up a number here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I come to the business. I go, Yep. Uh, am I paying an upfront advice fee as well or yes. am I just paying the membership? How does that work in your business? Yeah, so there is an upfront advice fee and then there's an ongoing membership once the SOA is signed. Perfect. And what are you doing with risk? We're doing it. We are, we're doing it, are we? <laughs> we're now, doing it. I've seen a comment in the Facebook group from you, Jessica, and I think it's an interesting discussion for all risk writers over Australia. It is very much a moment in time. We're coming to the end of LIF. Uh, we've seen every bloody reinsurer, insurance company uh, dick around with the pricing of their books. Uh, Danny, go with me on this. We're not going <laughs> to... This is funny. I don't work for anyone, so I can be like wild. <laughs> Glenn's just free-ranging. <laughs> yeah. My uh, teeth are clenched. Now, it, it's a wild time out there for insurance. What's a snapshot lay of the land like for insurance in your business at the moment? It's... I feel really conflicted mm-hmm. as an advice. I feel really interesting take on this, I think, because I come from an insurer. And so I have this interesting insight into the problems that exist in books and back books and products closing and, and unprofitability and cross subsidization and all this stuff I get. But as an advisor now at the coal phase, for my existing members, and, and I do a lot, I have done a lot of level, which I'm now thinking, have I, have I done the right thing? It's really hard because the comment on the Facebook page, I had a week off, newsflash, don't have a week off, and then came back to an email on Monday from a a member who said, hey, just a bit confused, I've got this renewal notice and there's a 75% increase and I'm thinking, oh, she's forgot the decimal point um, between the seven and the five and she hadn't and I was like, this is really hard because younger people they don't think they need it. They don't want it. They see it as a barrier to them doing other things, you know, paying down debt faster, investing more. And when you get premium rate increases like that, and she's uninsurable now, she's she's had a medical event, um, like it's really tough. And so we're finding ourselves reselling products that we only wrote a year or two or three ago. And in some instances, only sold because there is an element uh, when it comes to risk that you need to sell the philosophy. You need to sell the idea. Yeah. Yeah. We're not selling insurance. We're selling the fact that you need your life to be protected yeah. and getting the client to think in another mindset. And I've sold the concept of level premiums because I've looked at the crossover points and thought, well, you're 27 or whatever it is that you are. I know based on your savings capacity, based on your wealth at the moment, you're going to need income protection for a really bloody long time. Mm. And, you know, I have another client just to contrast that. She... Um, this is a bit of a tangent, so work with no, me. No, no, we're, we're going there. Um, we're all about we're, it. We're there. She um, got advice well, well before she saw me and she got a stepped premium and it wasn't even a discussion point actually with her and her advisor. And, you know, she's in late 40s now and they're just huge premiums. And so that really, for me, as someone who, who you know, um, has always believed in, in the concept of level helped reinforce for me, okay, this is what, because it's become quite unaffordable for her that we've had to, you know, do the things that you can do, play around with waiting periods and benefit periods and amounts and stuff. But now I'm like, have I done the right thing? So, okay, question, as uh, as an advisor, 
you know, the world is about to change in terms of income protection in our industry. Mm. Are we just literally, all right, we're just a holding pattern. We're doing everything stepped until these new changes come in. Let's The insurers will come out with new products mm. and whatever. Are we going back to, you know, are we taking income protection to a five-year benefit period and then topping up TPD? I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. But I'd, I, all I know is there's a lot of crap going on out there at the moment and how do you pitch your tent to something when there's a hurricane? It's a really good point and I, I don't have the answer. Like no one really does at the moment even in, in provider land and I think the, the couple of things that to just keep in mind are, and these are opinions of Danny Visser, is that we are in a position that we're in now and these premiums are going up because it means people are claiming a lot. Mm. So the product, I mean, I see it all the time that it gets paid to people at their most vulnerable point. So we're having these massive hikes because it's, you know, unsustainable because it's being claimed on so much. So that's sort of, there's an element of like we're using it a lot. Which, but, yeah. yeah, but also the ratings war. Correct. And the pricing war, you know, we're loss leading 20% discounts, you know. Which we've all participated in. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it's just led to this debacle. And I've taught, and we all have talked to insurance companies where in the background, the product's too good. They can't get self-employed people off the books because they're, the self-employed people are cooking the books to make it look like they can't earn an income and they're stuck on claim. Mm. But anyway, back to your business, Jess. <laughs> No, do you let's, know let's default to the guest and, and let her answer this very tough question because it it's such a conundrum. Mm. Yeah, I think the thing for me that's the most frustrating is there's no, there's no clear right answer and yet I have, I have a mandate to do the right thing and it's like, well, what the hell is the right thing? Like, I, I don't know what the right thing to do is, but Danny, you're right. And so <laughs> I had this conversation with someone yesterday and I was like, look, I totally get that this is not what we expected in terms of premium increases. But I want you to know that this means that there's been heaps of claims. And given 2020 and everything that's happened with 2020, maybe it's not unexpected. And obviously, you, I don't have any interest in going through all of, the, of the, the other things that are why it is what it is. And I just explain, you know, this is a community product. You're all tipping cash into the into the hat and then if it's your turn and you're up you get paid the money but yeah it's it's challenging and I don't know we're gonna we have actually just um we have decided to sit down and and give Glenn your comment a lot of thought about like how the hell are we going to approach this between now and October yeah because in if I had my business again I'd be thinking okay once the IP changes come in once the product providers have reset and you know had their new products that aren't as, um, we'll use the word, quote-unquote, strong in terms of the definitions and getting back to more, if you can't work, you get paid, that mm. type of thing. Mm. Um, you would hope it's priced correctly. You would hope that you could put in a level premium without a 70% increase mm. for a very, very, very long time, forever, amen. So my question for the hippopotamus in the room did you have many clients with BT on income protection on level? Am I the hippopotamus? No, I am. I was like, who's the hippopotamus? Because there's only two other people in this room and Nick. Yeah, that's right. And it's not a, um, you know, it's not a, we're not here to bash BT, but the facts are they're the ones that have a level product, income protection, 
and they've sent letters out to people. Yeah. So it's a, it's a real thing. I've got a few. Yeah. So what are you doing? How are you positioning the conversation to make it palatable at all? You are know? you doing blanket email to clients? Hey guys, we're doing a, um, a group Zoom call, all clients. There's a big industry issue. We want to tell you all what's happening. Or are you putting out spot fires as they come up? So we had this we had this preliminary meeting to decide to have another meeting yesterday and we decided we need to do that. So we actually just need to get so we we we're gonna use some stats to give people some insights into what's going on, why it's happening. We wanna talk about some fox and hair income protection claims that we've had and make it more right and relevant. You know, we've had a we had a client get hit by a car, we had a client who got hit by a truck, um, we had a client who fell over running. Like these and these are fox and hair members and this is the impact and this is what it meant for them and this is what they didn't have to stop doing. You know, people relate to real stories and if they can think about that, like, oh God, imagine if that happened to ours have all been accidents so far, thank goodness. Um so we're going to do some mass stuff, if you like. And then, yeah, we've got to get on the front foot because uh, this was on Monday. It's now Friday. So yeah. I've only just come back. And the other point maybe worth calling out is like, this is one part of our business. Like, it's I'm not a risk advisor. This is part of a much bigger sort of overarching plan for most of our members. And we're trying to run a business. Just the protection team. wrapper. Yeah. It's mm. just like this constant, like there's so much to think about for us at all times it's mm. like yeah gosh we should actually spend hours thinking about this but but if you if i think about the realities of being an advisor today and being client facing and managing a team like it's full on okay so question would you be inclined to uh because i'm just thinking as a consumer if they said hey glenn your insurance and i'll make up a number it's two thousand dollars a year for your ip mm. you know because i'm a office worker and I'm on 80 grand or something just starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's three, seven or something like that. Mm. Are you going to be proactive and saying, look, we still want you to have the protection, mm. but we think there's a bigger trade-off that needs to happen. We don't like reducing benefit amounts, mm. but we mess around with waiting periods and benefit periods. Probably. these are agree- Most of these are on agreed as well. So yeah. I'm like, oh God. Because I'm, you know, I don't know about you and your experience, Danny, but you know, every claim that I've had in my business, where they've even been on a 90 day wait, as soon as we put the claim in, they're like, can I change it to 30 days? It's like, it's too late now. I'm sorry. Mm. Even if they've got an emergency fund mm. and I would hate for someone to claim and not be fully insured. So it's that argument. Do we go, look, it's bloody expensive. I can't get it cheaper anywhere else. I'd rather you have full 75% covered at 90 days for five years. I stand like, before you without an answer to that. Yeah, but these are the, the questions. Are the, yeah, and I think it goes back to your advice philosophy. Mm. And, you know, we know that our clients need an emergency fund. And I would hypothesize for those listening and you've got this stuff coming, how can you add other value? It's like, this is why we do emergency funds, people. This is... Yeah. And and it's also, to, to your point, like we're going to redefine our, our needs analysis because it's like, okay, well, if it is a five-year benefit period, the assumption is you're probably off for a long time. So then we're going to think about grossing up TPD more than we have in the past. And, you know, we've got to be a bit more robust about that. So we are definitely going to have that chat. We just haven't had it yet. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I'd love to, you know, I, I post in the group, spasmodically but I am I'm I'm really interested in what other people are doing and, and what I find really funny is no matter what 
the reply is there is someone who is who I respect equally who thinks the complete opposite. <laughs> and this is why as a professional, it's just you've got to hang your hat on something and be okay with you going to bed at night. Say like I went to bed tonight knowing that my client has 75% of their income covered, albeit a 90-day wait, albeit age, a five-year benefit or whatever that is. You have to own it because if you don't personally own it, your clients won't feel that confidence. Mm. And that goes back to your, your risk advice philosophy, doesn't it? And I think the other thing that I'll just pick up and because, look, there are no answers and I obviously don't run a business so it's not a space where I feel I've got much authority to comment. But what I will say is that, you know, to your comment before, Glenn, when you were saying, do you deal with things put out fires or do you do an address? We did a lot of benchmarking on consumers as why they loved their advisors And it was really interesting that a lot of the responses came out that they were proactive with their communication, even when terrible things were about to happen, is that they were on that front foot. So it's a pretty difficult scenario, but I think that whole proactive, that really transparent, this is this is a scenario, it's not it's not lovely. This is so unique because it's not a ten percent increase that you know is coming and you know that some clients won't even look at the policy schedule and the debit will just come out and it'll be all good. But when there's a 75% cliff, like winter's coming, Jon Snow, yeah, with some of those clients. So you're absolutely right, Danny. You need to be proactive and go, hey, I need to talk to you very urgently. Well, maybe. You know, it's the old John Howe thing. Don't be alert, not alarmed. <laughs> like it's this. If you could just get the insurers to give us some warning before that would also be really helpful so that you can get on the front foot and not unless I miss something I you know it, that's not a nice email to receive from a member when you've been on leave for a week I was like uh, what has happened while I was away I go away for five days yeah um so that's a very good point actually it's know, like if you, the, the more that they can help us help mm-hmm. our members the higher the quality of the conversation the retention opportunity all of that sort of stuff so there's definitely a knock-on effect have you seen that high of an increase with other product providers. So I haven't personally. I, haven't. I, I know I've, I've seen an old... I know my level contract went up. I mean, across the board, I think yeah, you know, it's around like about the 20%. 20%. Yeah. Like I've got my IP with MLC and that went up 20%. Yeah, same. I mean, I think I saw like a million years ago a, an old company that I think Prefshaw purchased that was an old book that then Tao purchased Prefshaw that that went up 110% or something ridiculous. But I haven't seen this happen that wasn't no, it's a, a very legacy unique, book? Yeah, it's a very unique um, scenario and yeah, I, there aren't a lot of, there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers or, or set answers to those questions. So maybe we should have a little forum with a couple of different advisors and hear all of their thoughts. And well, m- maybe we need think to tank. Do, Yeah, because yeah. I, I think it's, for me, it's more of a, we know the problem's there. There's going to be other insurers and other products where there is this crazy thing. It is how can we do a that forum and say, what's everyone doing to be proactive? Mm. And there's two parts, well, there's a couple of different parts to this, right? There's the whole, how does this change your philosophy? How does this change for new members or clients coming through? Um, And and it's understanding, okay, well, what is our advice process changes from this? And then you've got this whole other piece, which is, well, how are we articulating this to people and how are we articulating this to to members and, and what's the game plan? And we have to think about both of them because they're really different. Like I sat with a BDM the other day who wanted to explain all of the changes and, and they make sense to me. Like I'm from an insurance company. I totally get it. And I'm like, yeah, but 
clients don't care. Like we need That's right. we need a client friendly approach. We need we need to think about what are they going to do because this has massive not like for millennials. They're like, oh, where the hell is this money coming from? And so then we have to change cash flow plans, which means an ROA because there's probably less money going to savings and less money going to investing. And like it has knock on effects as well that you have to think about. Yeah, it's it's wild, and I really think. I just, my heart goes out there for the risk only advisors who might have 80% of their book with one inch, like with BT, for example, with a heap of level premium. That's a lot of stress and anxiety. Mm. uh, Because it's messing around with people's income from that part of it. The great news, despite all of this stuff, is Mm. that the products do help people in the very worst of times. And so I think, you know, coming back to all this, it's like, well, what is this designed for? It's like, I want to know that I can go to bed at night and know that if overnight I get a call that something shit has happened, Mm. I can say to either the person or their family, hey, we got you. Mm. You got this. But yeah, it's tricky. This, and I know this would probably be hard for the product manufacturers to do, but how cool would this be? Um, They write to you, Jessica, and say, it's like I'm your, your father or mother. I'm in trouble. Oh, you're a naughty girl. Um, hey, Glenn's, Glenn, my, myself, your client's income protection, it's increasing 73.5%. There's a table below here that gives you some examples because we want to help you manage your client. And here is the graph. It's like if it's guaranteed, here's what the cost will be with the increase if it's indemnity. Here's if you dick around with the waiting period and benefit period have five options mm-hmm. and then you can have it there, be proactive with the client and say, hey, the world's crazy, reinsure is this, you know, insure is that. We have to make a categorical change. We think the underlying product's good, got good definition definitions. So instead of it being from 2,200 or two grand a year to 3,700, we can get it down to, you know, uh, 3,100 or three grand by tweaking these levers. Do you know what makes me giggle when you say that? Mm-hmm. Love it. Would, would obviously love that because the whole rigmarole of, you know, going to most of the providers and asking for alteration quotes and then the BS of getting the alteration quotes or, or maybe you can do them online. But it's like, I know that the majority of Australian insurers have systems from like 1,403 mm. and like... BC. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I was on I was on the phone to the provider today and just something so easy, it just seems so easy to me. I'm like, why did you not invest in? But uh, yeah, and to your point, this is, um, and it's probably a plug to One Path, who obviously supports this show. They actually put a bit of effort into the back book and their back technology, like just for servicing clients. So I don't know for what it's worth. Because that helps us deliver advice at a lower cost point. Well, because it's easier for some advisors to rewrite a policy than to dick around with an older one. Hmm. And that's not talking about compliance or anything like that. That's just the facts of business. So, because as you said, Jess, it's a small part of a much bigger business, and it's you know you've got other things that you're going to be focusing on with with these clients. Mm. So lots of lots of questions, not many answers. I mean, we've had a, we've gonna... had a big rant. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to do a bit of fishing in another pond, and I would love. I mean, a lot of the stuff we see. Are, that you're doing at the Improving moment, Jesse, the literacy about. for women around their money management, their you know their confidence managing their finance, raising conversations. 
why did you choose that particular avenue apart from the fact that you can obviously relate to relate to that audience what what drew, what drew you there I think it's because structurally the financial system in Australia has been designed for men by men and I think that there's a huge amount of problems when you try to think about how the majority of women live and and the complications that arise when you have children, when you earn less, when you run small businesses and, and just where that's leading. Like I can see- It's a bad time to go, yeah, the boys. <laughs> you can go the other way. This is not anti-boys and this is the thing yeah. like, you know, I'm a feminist in that I believe in equality. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't believe in shoving men out the door and saying, thanks, we'll take over from, from here now. Mm. But we have to be honest, like super doesn't work for women in the way that it's designed right now by and large and you know there's a fascinating piece of research out of the UK that looked at how the media talk to women about money versus how they talk to men about money and it's horrifying like women it's about coupons and you know making the grocery bill you know less and and men it's about investing and where's the money going and understanding ETFs and just creates this really terrible perpetual cycle. You know the promising thing is 70% of the My Millennial Money listeners are female bloody love that it's so good it's so good and 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 yet there's such interesting sad research that's come out globally that says that young women are abdicating from financial decisions more than the generation above them and what i find really interesting about it is your or like your the clients that you're dealing with or the members rather that you're dealing with they're professional mm. largely so do you see this in that yeah. area so even highly educated professional women have the same challenges on the money front and the money discussions? I think there's absolutely a perception that if you are highly educated, if you earn a good income, you would naturally be more interested or competent or confident around money and it's just not what I'm seeing. And they're so apologetic for not getting stuff. They're just, they feel innately stupid for not understanding. And I'm like, you don't wake up one day and speak another language. Like it doesn't happen like that. You've got to learn it. Mm. And so I just can see that if we don't make some really big changes, we are staring down the barrel of 51% of the population living in poverty in retirement and I'm not okay with that. So if there's a your young advisor who is going to deal with 50% of the population, what language is really important to speak? Like what have you learned is really important? How have you changed the way that you communicate so that people can absorb the information? Because I'm certainly like that. Like if, if something overwhelms me, I kind of opt out, but I might not say it because mm. there is that assumption I should probably just get it. Mm. I think it's calling that out as early as possible. Hey, I want you to know, not many people know this. So if you don't, totally fine. I think as well, it's important. It goes to the uh, emotional intelligence when you are engaging clients and particularly if there's a couple male, female, uh, and it really doesn't matter, you know, which one's which in terms of the dominance. Mm. But I've had meetings before where we're like, all right, so what are some um, – so, Kate, tell me about, you know, some goals in the family. And then Michael jumped in and started to go, excuse me, Michael, I'll get to you in a minute. I'd love to hear from Kate what she thinks. We had that. So and vice versa. Yeah, so in the beginning – so we do something called a goals and values session up front, which is exactly as it sounds, and we weren't explicit enough around whose turn it was and this happened and it happened a lot and people would speak for the other person and I'm like, just shut up. And so we now call it and say, good – Danny, we're going to go with you first or whoever decides to um, go first and I want to hear everything. 
Glenn, don't worry, you're going to do exactly the same thing. So just again, creating that boundary in that space to say like, you're going to get your turn, but it's not right now mm. because otherwise we found it was the loudest voice wins. Yeah. And that's that makes that person who is perhaps the quieter voice lean further and further out. And what you'll find in the meeting, there'll be so much gold come out of the experience because the dominating person will categorically hear the non-dominating spouse's goals and ideas that they've never heard before. Mm. Like, it's just so wild. I feel sometimes like a counsellor. Yes. A very unqualified... Well, I, how, well how have you addressed that? Because that's pretty full-on, like, to feel, like, unqualified in a conversation that's heavy and you, you're hearing and how have you changed, like, how do you mm. absorb that? I, I mean, probably poorly is probably the right response. But I, for me, it's like... All this comes back to is what are we trying to achieve and how do we communicate well? So it's like, guys, we are all on the same team here. We are all on the same team. What are we actually trying to achieve? Danny, let's talk about what's holding you back, what's frustrating you. Let's be real transparent. And then, Glenn, what's, you know, tell me what's happening. you know, people dob on each other because we do cash flow, we can't do cash flow stuff, which I find really odd because I don't know what to do. But, but I say to them, cool, like... Obviously, guys, this is going to push our goal further and further back. And then it's about understanding, like, why are you doing it? Do we need to change the goal? Like, fine, I'm happy to move the goal out. Or we need to pivot something. Or we need to talk about, like, what's your behaviour about? Because of the demographic that I work with. I'll give you a great example. I had a client yesterday tell me (laughs) that he wants to buy a Tesla. And he also wants a million dollars of investable assets in a very short space of time. And yet when I did his values, they completely contradict with this car purchase. And I, and I had a pretty frank conversation with him around, like, I think you're really influencing, you're being really influenced right now around, you know, what success is. And so I've made him go away and journal because one of his core values is, is success. And I've asked him, what does success actually mean to you? Because if you're driving around this Tesla with a heck of a lot of debt, is that success? And it got him like he was pretty confronted by it. But I think we've got to be prepared to have these pretty emotional conversations too. Something just came to mind uh, for those who might be new to the insurance world. Uh, One thing that I never put up with in my practice was the notion when a couple came in that we don't talk about insurance, quote unquote, for the wife. Because she doesn't earn the most amount of income. No, that's never happened. Yeah, yeah, wow. So I would never put up, and you know, I'm out in suburbia, mm. and I would just say basically, no, your spouse has just as much value for you. And I actually had a client who was a, a specialist earning $1.2 million a year, and we did all his insurance, and he said, my wife doesn't need any cover because she doesn't, she only earns 150 grand a year part time as a doctor. And I said, mate, what would happen if she died? Because you've got to be frank, don't you? Or was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Who would look after your family? Because it's unpaid work. Yes. It's and not that they're as, not working. They exactly, are working. Exactly. So, and it's more just of a coaching point to new entrants to the industry. Have the professional courage to not put up with misogyny in the household. And small plug for Zurich who did that cost of care white paper. There's some pretty good research in there about just actually what it would cost Mm. to get the home care and to get all the things. I mean, she ended up with a million dollars. 
Death TBD. And I think the other thing is that, and certainly Jess and I have had these conversations outside of this forum, is coaching is a distinct skill set. And so I don't think people are supposed to wake up and have those courageous conversations. Sure, you could, and that would be very courageous as an advisor. But if like planning and coaching is very different, I think. And the more I sort of think around that, planning is providing solutions to an issue, whereas perhaps coaching is guiding people to, like Jess, you were talking before, and you're sort of getting people to navigate through certain options. And I think that that would be a far easier conversation to have courage around if if you got coaching around how to be a coach because mm. it's a really distinct skill set and certainly the people who are doing it well are getting additional training because it is a hard emotive conversation and, and, yeah we've been taught to provide cold hard facts cold hard solutions I've done the research I've done this and this is what we have to do and yet in a lot of instances it's actually about saying to the person hey there's different ways we can go here mm. and I need to know like where are you at? What are you thinking? Why are you thinking that? Like go away. And, you know, I, I've I've been looking at a lot of research and, and there's some cool stuff happening in the UK around this financial wellness concept and, and what is financial wellness? And sometimes it's advisors sitting with a problem and not giving a solution and offering some space for people to thrash it out because we're busy and we're time poor and we don't sit awake at night thinking, you know, oh, why why am I, you know, really stress testing? Why am I doing this? And why am I self-sabotaging? And why am I buying this, this and this? And so offering the space for someone to do that is highly valuable and yet it doesn't fit into a classical advice framework. To journal, I mean, that's such a great idea. I mean, that's an incredible nugget is if you're having these really deep conversations that requires that, like getting, I mean, maybe don't call it journal if, 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 that's, a, if that's a term homework. that's a I call it homework. homework. <laughs> yeah, homework. And I, I've, I've seen that same research, Jess, that you're talking about and around the wellness and yeah, it's really, um, it's a really huge movement that not necessarily more money delivers no. success or happiness. And so, and purpose is a big question for people. So how can you break that down into smaller, more digestibles? How, how can you actually take that to, well, what motivates you? What actually makes you happy? Because purpose is a very big, scary word, even for people who are a bit, you know, more comfortable in that area. I think it's also worth calling out, like people are using money as a band-aid for so many things. People are feeling, especially at the moment, like social media, really, particularly for, for the, the demographic I work with, like their spending can, can often be a massive reflection of, of what's going on in their head. And so, you know, people are in emotional distress, people are racking up credit card debt. People, you know, money is, is problematic in so many Australian households, mm. we have this opportunity to hold space for a conversation that no one else is having with these people. You know, pre-Rona, I think it was like one in three households were co classically considered in financial stress. I have no idea what the numbers are now, but like, why aren't we, and it doesn't matter if you're a risk advisor or whatever, like, I think there's an opportunity to offer people a mirror and to say, hey, I want you to have a really good look at this and think about what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it because I genuinely feel that we can make people's lives better by helping them understand I am doing something really terrible because I'm not addressing the root cause and it's impacting me in, in a spending way but also I'm never going to achieve the things that are actually going to bring me, you know, bring me my happiness because I keep self-sabotaging. So look, I know I'm going down this whole different path which is not really risk related but um, I don't know, I just feel like we're missing this whole piece here. Yeah, I hope once this industry hurricane passes yeah. and, you know, the dust can settle, the education training, the FSEA, the LIF, the 
RC implementation, all that stuff, I hope we can have some clear horizons in the industry with less regulation starting to occur over the next 10 years. So I'm excited for, you know, to get through this. And, you know, once we do get through this, then we can go back to working on the stuff that you're talking about. Because I think if advisors are stressed out and worrying about freaking phone calls for 70% increases, freaking doing a exam and all this stuff, how do we have the bandwidth to work on, I want to skill up so I'm a better person for my clients. Like it just takes a back seat. It's hard. It, it is hard. It's so hard because you're like, no, I can't wait 10 years because who the hell knows in 10 years what other regulation and BS we're going to deal with. Like mm. you've been in the industry a long time. I have too. Um, there's never been a period of uh, – since – like when did I join? 2006. Mm. I was five. Um, there's always been something and it absolutely has – like the acceleration of it is huge. Yeah, but I, I just think maybe this time – and they're probably saying it like with FOFA and um, heaps. all that stuff. It's like this is the last time. I'm hopeful that we actually do get a good run of nothing. Well, a lot of the stuff that we've brought in, if you look at it, is trying to Im- – increase a level of professionalism Mm. and you would hope that that has the effect of doing it and when we do become that profession perhaps then there's that trust that doesn't require every step to be so you know measured so that's I guess that's the hope but I also would like to say like I think like looking yes it's been this perfect storm but there are still practitioners like yourself and, and Glenn Jess who are Killing it. Like got so many clients, you, you can't keep up with the demand. So imagine when the seas do settle a bit. Mm. I think it's going to be a really exciting time. So it is a, yeah, I, I think it's really exciting. And the change you can have in people's world is what should maybe mm. spur us on for that little bit longer. I remember this when I'm awake at night. Honestly, so in BDM land, I'm just going to be really honest. You know, they say to you, ask them what keeps you up at night. I didn't really get it because I used to, I'm sleeping is like one of my top, was one of my top skills. I now, I really get it. I wake up and my brain is like, a, it's like a freight train, just boom, straight, like just the amount of things. Um, and, and I get, I, I have been really overwhelmed by all the things, Glenn, you were talking about, by trying to run a business, by being new, I'm a new advisor. Like all this, like I'm drinking from a fire hydrant every day. But to Danny's point, all I think about is, there are so many people who could benefit from get, getting advice. There are so few people giving advice right now. We're on the precipice of a massive intergenerational wealth transfer. Like all of the fundamentals are there for our industry to continue and to thrive. Um, it's just going to be a tricky journey, but uh, but they need us and, and we can't forget that because as an advisor, it can feel quite lonely and it can feel really overwhelming. Um, but I think if we remember that for decades and decades to come, your advice is valued and it's needed. That helps me. <laughs> and, helps and, me. I, and diamonds, they say, are produced under pressure. So I think there's going to be some incredible business. In all seriousness, I think there's going to be some incredible businesses that have come to this whole new level of strength because they've, they've had to evolve so radically and so continually in relentless change pressure so that when the sea does calm down a bit, it's just I think it's going to be a really exciting time. We need to wrap up, but if we could finish with this, Mm -hmm. what do you wish you'd known in 2017 before you started your advice business? Wowzers. We'll just take the next hour and I'll go through them all. Um, (laughs) What I was was pondering on this because there's just so much that I wish I'd had known. 
I wish, personally, I wish I'd have known a lot more about how practically to give advice. And what I mean is like the steps and the workflows and, and the threads or whatever your software calls it, like that has been phenomenally challenging for someone who comes from BDM land who never ever had to do that sort of rigor before and just like because I work in a small licensee you know I've had to re I've literally rewritten our SOA template from go to woe like that's an enormous amount of learning so I wish I'd have known a lot more around the process but 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 I also say that I don't think many people are jumping out of this into starting their own business with zero experience. So maybe that's not overly helpful for people who actually know what they're doing. How did you manage during your overwhelm? I think that's a really important, like when you had those moments of intense overwhelm, how did you manage that? Because I think it's about a network. In fact, that's probably helped me the most. And so if you are new and, and thinking about starting out and, you know, you wish you'd known that, like the power of the financial advice network in Australia is honest it must be second to none like if you don't have good relationships get on LinkedIn find some businesses that you respect message them I have no doubt most of them will reply to you and offer you a coffee or a tea or a virtual zoom or whatever they're doing and literally open their business up to you like you don't underestimate don't feel scared don't be under you know don't underestimate that and you're actually not alone like you're not the only advisor who's getting clients with a 70% increase not at all so we need to Seriously, wrap this Sorry, up. Sorry, I went on a tangent there. No, no, no. It's perfectly great. But I think to your point, uh, Danny and I, maybe uh, in the coming weeks and months, we might organise some type of uh, meetup or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to use the Z word like Zoom because I think we're all over that. Mm. But what if we did something in Sydney and Melbourne or something face-to-face and we can just come out and talk about this I'll call it like a reverse client engagement. <laughs> like, because we all talk about client engagement, but how do we do client engagement in the face of extreme issues? Mm. So, And borrow brains from the network. Totally. Which is what this is all about. Totally. Well, thank you, Jess, for all of your insights into what a business journey can be like and how people can embark on that with their shoes tied tight. And thank you, Glenn, for your insights and you've joined us on Wish You'd Known. And my comments are worth what you paid for them. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are in the advice world and you've made it this far, my question to you is, who can you forward this episode to? Thank you so much for listening. This was made possible because of My Risk Advisor. You can head over to the Facebook group, My Risk Advisor, and join in on the conversation.